Amen. Go ahead, have a seat. Ushers are going to come forward. Let's give out how God has given us. If you're here for the first, second, third, 50th time, and you've just never filled out that connection card, uh, you've got the rest of the day to get that thing filled out. And then when you get uh, back out into our gathering area in the circle room with all the stuff painted on the wall, uh, we've got some really nice people on the left who have a gift for you because you made this place uh, matter to you. You already matter to us. And so we want to say thank you so much for being with us this morning in a way that's very easy to carry to your car. Uh, so tonight, in, the pay, in all the papers that you're are given. Uh, one of the things that's talked about is tonight there's a prayer and worship service at main campus that happens at 5 p.m. Uh, Pastor Tim is going to be up there with uh, some other people that you'll recognize uh, and it's going to be a great time for us praying for our city. It kicks off 21 days of prayer and fasting for Fresno and Clovis. It's something that we do as churches in our community together uh, and it kicks off at Mountain View main campus and it's going to be great uh, if you join us. It's going to be awesome. Another thing is for those of you who got invites to the Dream Team dinner, that's Friday night. If you could uh, RSVP at the table as you head out today, that, if you have no clue what I'm talking about, it's a thank you dinner that we do uh, a couple times a year for everyone who serves anywhere at Mountain View Sunnyside. Uh, we want to say thank you in a way that tastes really good and is going to build a lot of faith and momentum as we move into 2019. Third thing, and then we're going to finally get to the Bible, uh, we're closing today with the time for people to come up uh, and ask for healing in their life. We're going to have our prayer shoes up here like what Pastor Tim talked about uh, because we we want to see God break into our lives this year in fresh new ways. It's a brand new year. His power is the same to heal and restore and fix, and we want to experience that in every way that Jesus has for us. So that's where we're ending. Where we're starting is something that my family and I did this week, and that is pack up Christmas. I love packing up Christmas, and it's not because I'm a horrible person. I like getting my living room back. I like seeing the Christmas tree all boxed up and back up in the attic because we believe in fake trees, because it's a real bargain. Uh, and before before we had the fake tree, we had the real tree that like leaves 90% of it on the floor as you drag it out. Uh, and before I was here, I was the high school pastor at Mountain View Main Campus. And when you spend, counting my own time in high school and then 13 years with high schoolers there, when you spend 22 years around high schoolers, it does something to your brain. If you're a teacher, you can give me an amen because you understand all about that life. But one of the great things about Christmas trees is disposing of them, not just taking it out to the corner, but permanently disposing of them uh, with fire. Because nothing's worse than a fire, like getting a fire started that just won't get started. So I had this idea. I'm not MacGyver. I can't always make an amazing fire, but if you add Christmas tree or trees, anyone can become a better fire starter. So we had our New Year's Eve party. Uh, I think this is like 2012, 2013. Uh, we had been collecting Christmas trees just to make Christmas tree fire starting easier for me. Uh, and that is like seven of them tied together. Uh, there's a big fire pit at main campus, and we used to use that all the time when I was a high school pastor. And so we would just pile trees in there, and then that top one is just one just kind of thrown up on top. Because if, like, I sometimes need help finding, starting a fire. So everybody's inside. I go out there with a little bit of lighter fluid and some matches, and we start the fire, and that's what it looked like. That is really, really big. So the bottom part of that is like a three-foot high like curtain thing, and then it's just fire straight up in the air because that's the way to dispose of a Christmas tree if you need to start a fire, in my mind. Uh, we've got a friend who lives down the street from us who we invite to church stuff all the time. They have never said yes, not yet. They will eventually. Uh, but all of a sudden, we know that she knows exactly where our church is because I'm at church running the New Year's Eve party for high school, and Anna's getting calls at 1130 at night from this lady saying, your church is on fire. And Anna's like, no, 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 it's just Ken. It's okay. He's been around high schoolers too long and it's worked with his brain 
Today, we're going to do that same type of thing, but with something else, all right? In Christmas, we celebrated Jesus coming into the situation where nobody expected. He's coming into the life of, of, a, of a woman who's not yet married, into a life uh, of poverty, into a life where nobody expected him, where the religious leaders, the people whose job it was to predict when Jesus is coming, didn't even expect Jesus to come. And from that, we're going to take out the idea that Jesus is the underdog Savior, We're taking out the idea that he's the person that nobody expects, that he's just the little six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus. We're going to take that out, and we're going to look at a day in the life of Jesus where we see Jesus grown up and living in authority to heal sickness, to heal disease, to bring peace to to our situations, and to lead us through everything that this year has for us. Because if we're looking to a six-pound, eight-ounce, little, still-in-a-diaper baby, like that, that might not be able to handle what we bring to Jesus. But when we look at Jesus in real life, grown up Jesus, Jesus living with authority from God because he is God with skin on, God sent to live among us and do life with us, we see that there's so much hope for our future. That he's more than a baby, that he's, he's God of all creation with skin on living amongst us. So we're going to check it out a day in the life of Jesus. We're in Luke 8, 22. We're going to bounce around from 22 to the end of the chapter. If you've got your Bible or your app, you can go there now, and I will start reading whether or not you're there. So verse 20, okay, one thing. When we had the kids up here a few weeks ago, one of the parents who's a really good photographer brought their camera, and I saw a lot of pictures of me reading from the Bible like this. I look like a troll, all right? So we're not going to do that. Today we're going to posture ourselves correctly, and we're going to read from the Bible like a man or a grown-up or a woman or, yeah. So, 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they started out. And as they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake and the boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. So the first thing that we we see in this day of the life of Jesus is that Jesus knows our situation and he has the authority to bring peace into our lives. I love how this starts. Jesus goes to his 12 disciples, some of whom are professional fishermen on this lake who own the boat that they're getting into. And he says, hey, let's just go, let's get in the boat and let's go across the lake and see what's going to happen. He doesn't say, in about five minutes, you're going to think that you're going to die. The rest of your day is going to be you barely escaping this thing where you think you're about to drown and be gone and dead, lost at the middle of the ocean. He says, eh, let's get in the boat. Let's go across the lake. Come with your spouse. Just wanted to log in and see how my kids are doing in school. I got a call from the teacher. I'm sure everything's fine. I just want to see what's going on. And then, boom, the storm happens. And what we thought was was normal, we thought was good, what we thought was healthy, what we thought was, was normal, all of a sudden it's upside down. And we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. There are a lot of stories about Jesus walking around the earth where he finds the the person on the absolute bottom and he brings them up and he welcomes them into society and he dives after, he seeks after, he runs after the lowest of the low. This is not that story. This is a story of grown-ups who are good at what they do, who, who Jesus finds them in the middle of the thing that they are an expert at. The only thing is, is it has gone totally sideways. This is a story for us. The people that that Jesus was with, they owned the boat. They fished on that lake every single day. And they come to Jesus. And they wake Jesus up because he had settled down for a nap. And they're thinking that they're going to die. They're telling him, we're in real danger. These are people who had spent years on this lake. And they say, all of a sudden, we're in danger. Something's going on. And this isn't a story about, about Jesus going after the weak people. It's Jesus going after the strong. 
And so he jumps up and he says, Luke says, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. He steps into their situation. He steps into the situation of the experts, but now all of a sudden it's even out of their expertise. It's out of their control. It's out of what they can handle, what they can fix on their own. He steps into our lives because so often we're like that. We've got stuff together, but then something comes along that totally flattens us, that floors us, that flips the script on how we think our life is supposed to be. And what Jesus does is he steps into that. He rebukes the wind and the raging waves, and suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. He shows power over their situation. He shows power over their life that had been flipped upside down and thrown into a blender. And then he asks them a question. He says, where's your faith? I think if you read this often, or at least if you're like me, you read this, and Jesus is asking people a question, why didn't you believe me? And we get the impression that Jesus is mad at the people, and I don't think that's the case. Because two verses before, we see that Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. He said, stop being crazy, settle down, shut up, go do your thing, be peaceful, and boom, it happens. And then he asks them. He doesn't rebuke them, he asks them a question. It's a different word in English, it's a different word in the original language. Jesus isn't mad. He's saying, is your faith in what you can handle or what God can handle? This year, we're all going to experience things. We're all going to have that routine thing that goes totally sideways, that area of our own expertise, that thing that we are the best at in our life. And when that storm comes, we know that Jesus is there in the middle of the storm to remind us of the fact that he can handle so much more than we can. Not because he wants us to feel bad all the time, but to show us that even in the midst of your storms, I know your situation and I have the authority to bring complete and total peace over that. That's one of the reasons that we encourage people and practice it myself to read our Bible every single day. Like we believe in shape that it's God's, it's exposing us and and diving us into God's love letter to us to remind us day after day that we are who God says that we are. And so I think over 2018, think back over 2018, where did this really become real to me? Where was this really something where God grabbed a hold of my heart and said, like, I've got you, don't worry? And it was about 11 months ago. Uh, me and Pastor Tim and just about everybody but Greg uh, moved down here about uh, 16 months ago in August of 2017 to start rebuilding uh, and making Sunnyside an amazing place. Uh, and, and things weren't good for the first four months. And then I'm lying in bed one night, uh, late January, early February, just thinking, God, what are you going to do with us? Because we're not huge. Like, it's a small group of people that, that we're doing our best to reach out to the community. Uh, but, like, summer is coming, and attendance tanks in the summer, and giving tanks in the summer. And, like, what are we going to do, God? How are we going to survive? Is it going to turn into me and, and Pastor Greg and Tim and our, our families who have to be here? Like, is that going to be what the church looks like? And usually I'm the LeBron James of sleep. Like, I can sleep through anything, and I can win at sleeping regardless of Ty Lue is my coach or whoever else. Like, I'm just going to succeed at sleeping. Uh, but one night, February, I, I'm up from, like, 11 to 2.30 in the morning. Just, it, it's life. Wide awake, thinking, what the heck is going to happen to us? What's going to happen to our campus? So I show up to Shape Group the next morning on about two and a half hours of sleep, uh, and we read Acts 5. And there's a great story in Acts 5. Acts 5 is, is the church after Jesus goes back to heaven, and now it's normal Joes running everything. That's, that's us. And there's a point where the people who had killed Jesus, the religious leaders who killed Jesus, now shifted their focus from Jesus onto the disciples. And there's a point where they had arrested all 12 of the disciples. They had all 12 of the disciples in their office, and they're deciding what they're going to do with them. 
And I looked at that. I'm like, this could be the end of the church right there. Kill them all. That's what they decided. Let's kill all 12 of them. Let's be done with this. Let's wipe this Jesus thing off the face of the earth. And then there's one person who speaks up and says, you know what? Let's not. Let's not do it. Because if we do nothing, and in three months, this whole thing disbands, we saved ourselves a ton of time. And we can go home. But if we do something, and this thing keeps growing, we're going to find ourselves fighting against God, which they didn't want to do. It's the religious leaders didn't want to do. They didn't want to fight against God. So we're going to let the disciples continue to do their thing. Who knows what's going to happen? It might fizzle. It might explode. But we're not going to do anything. And so that moment, it was like God saying to me, okay, I know your year. And even though you don't have a clue what's going to happen, this is going to be a good year. And so I'm journaling about it. I'm sharing it with my guys. And, and over that year, what happened? As we grew. In February, I got a call uh, from, from my boss saying, hey, I want you to go check out this building on the southwest corner of Kings Canyon and Bergen. It might be up for sale soon. I want you to see if that'd be a good place for Mountain View Sunnyside. We closed Escrow on July 22nd for that place. Our, we took our, our group of people who's trying to, to reach out to Southeast Fresno, and, and if you look at December to 18, or December 2017 to December 2018, like we grew an average of 59 people a week. That's basically everyone who's in first service, but just like doubled. And that's exciting. For some of you who started attending in 2018, you were part of that. You can go to bed at night thinking, you know, I am the reason that Pastor Ken sleeps well at night. And congratulations, it's good. But in all these things, we worship a God who came as a baby, yes. But then he grew up into a man and he grew up into a grown-up with the authority of God to bring peace into our lives. And it's amazing for us because it leads us out of the storms and it leads us through them. The next thing we see is that Jesus knows our secrets and he has the authority to bring restoration into our lives. So Jesus calms the storm and the boat keeps going. It crosses over the lake to the other side of the lake and it, it settles on the shore of the lake and Jesus steps out of the boat and immediately a guy comes running toward him. He's not like a super fit runner. He's a crazy person. And this guy lives among himself. He's got three uh, strikes against him. If you look at his life through the eyes of society, ways that Jesus should never in, be in touch with this guy or never talk to this guy. First thing is he lives by himself, lives out in the country. For those, some of you, you're like, yes, that is my dream life. Back in this day, you lived in the country if nobody else wanted you around. Everything else was communal. So to be out on your own means that there's something wrong with you in everybody's eyes and probably in your own. So this guy lived by himself. The place in the country where he lived was a cemetery. The understanding of that day was that if you're around dead people, God is mad at you for something. And you have taken on their deadness and their disease onto yourself. So he lives by himself, strike one. Lives among tombs and dead people and probably smells like them, strike two. And Luke is written by a doctor, so he's all about the details. And Luke makes it very clear that the guy is running towards Jesus totally naked, which is strike number three in their day and ours and every single day forever and ever. And so where everybody else sees this guy, who all of society would look at, take a sharp inhale, and step back from Jesus sees him and his disasters. He sees him in his secrets. He sees him in his labels. He sees him in the way that everybody else runs from him, and he walks towards him. Everyone else sees him as a reason not to associate with him, 
And this is where we get to see grown-up Jesus again because no issue that we bring into this place this morning is too gross for Jesus. No addiction is too complicated for Jesus. No habit is too well-entrenched, is too, you can't talk about that, is too taboo for Jesus because he brings healing to everyone who asks. And so in verse 28, we see this. It says, as soon as the man saw Jesus, he shrieked and he fell down in front of him. And then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man. And even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and he rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. So what had happened and what happens next is Jesus begins to, to talk to the demons inside the man and, and the demons say, don't send us to hell. Jesus says, okay, I'll send you to these pigs instead, which is a weird detail, but we're not focused on that today. And so Jesus ends up sending the demons to the pigs and, and what happens next is, uh, is that the guy says, you know what, don't, don't torture me. The demons inside of him are, are asking Jesus, instead of sending us to hell or sending us somewhere else, just stop torturing us. And that's how we are so often, you know? We look at the path to freedom. We look at whether we're going to bring what's going on inside of us into light. We think that that's got to be torture. That could never happen. I could never be honest about what's going on in my head, what, what my habits are, what my addictions are, what my browser history looks like, the conversations that, that I have with people, the things that I can't get over. And if I'm ever honest about that, nobody's going to love me anymore. Nobody's going to accept me. That is torture. But so often what, what Jesus sees, what Jesus leads the man in is that our, the pathway to our greatest freedom, the pathway to Jesus breaking into our lives and bringing restoration means that we have to go straight through our biggest fear, straight through our biggest weakness. And Jesus is calling us out of our secrets today. He's calling us out of a life of they'll never accept me, out of a life of I can't be honest with what goes on in me, to a life of freedom in him. And so Jesus gave him the permission. The demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. And then when the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened, and a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed, thank you, and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. That's the story of Jesus coming in, knowing somebody's secrets, and bringing complete restoration. There's, a, there's another guy, one of Jesus' other disciples, who writes about this story from a different point of view, and just includes some details that Luke doesn't. And one of the things that he says is afterwards, the guy who's now fully clothed wants to go back across the lake with Jesus, wants to continue ministry with Jesus and see everything that Jesus is going to do for people who used to be just like him. And Jesus says, no, I want you to turn around. I want you to go back to your community because now you're an example of what God can do. You're an example of the authority of God to bring healing into our lives, even towards those areas where everyone else looks at us and says, I can't even be around this. You need to be outside of society because you've got big problems. And Jesus comes in and he brings healing. And this is a year where God wants to bring healing in our lives around our secrets. Sometimes it means bringing them into the light and letting people in to know what's going on in you so that God can bring freedom, so that God can bring transformation. We worship a God where nothing is too gross for him. Instead, everything is an opportunity for him to get in and change us from the people where he finds us at into being the men and women he created us to be because he knows our secrets and he has the authority to bring restoration in our lives. 
And finally, Jesus knows our sicknesses, our diseases, and our physical brokenness, and he has the power and authority to bring healing into our lives. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. And then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12, was dying. This is a bad situation. Like, if you know, if you read stories about Jesus, you know that there, there was one group of people that he always, like, butted heads with, and those were the leaders of the synagogues. But, you know, when you're that situation and you're desperate because your kids are dying, previous beef doesn't really mean much anymore. So the guy comes to Jesus, and he's desperate, falls down at his feet and says, come heal my daughter. And so God, being a good father, he looks at the man, and he goes with him. Doesn't matter that before they got in a fight. Doesn't matter that those are the group of people that are eventually going to kill Jesus. He's a good father, and he sees a father, he sees a parent whose child is dying. Somebody who's crying out in desperation, I need you to come into my life. I need you to bring healing in this area. It doesn't matter what label or what side you're on. I need you here. I need you to come in. I need you to bring healing. And so Jesus goes with him. And what he does next is he begins to expand our idea of what God means by healing. Because he's going with the person. He's going with a good person. You know, he's a leader of a synagogue. Personally, I think church leaders are amazing people, but that's probably because I have a, like a horse in the race. But this is a person, like, not only is he a pastor, but it's, it's his kid. It's his 12-year-old daughter. She's a little girl. If you deny healing to kids, like, that's really, really messed up. And so God's like, yes, I will heal that person. The straight A's all across. Goes to church, kid's sick. Yes, everyone would agree that thing needs to be healed. And then Jesus says, all right, let me just, just stretch that one step further. Jesus is walking by. He's surrounded by crowds. And a woman in the crowd who suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding is there. And she could find no cure for her situation. She's hemorrhaging physically for 12 years, and in that culture, it's bad medically, but they looked at it at that as a sign that you've done something wrong. It's like the person who lives among dead people. If this is you, then you're unclean, and the fact that it's existed for 12 years, that, that you need to be sent out. You can't be around people. And so this woman who hasn't had any contact, which means she's got no money, which means she's got no family, which means she's got no protection, which means she has no social life, even just the positive interaction that we have with other people that makes us smile, that makes us feel good, like she's got none of this. And what she's been told time after time is there is no cure. But you know, when, when you're desperate, very little matters. It's a synagogue leader coming up and falling in front of Jesus and saying, my, my daughter is sick, can you heal her? And now it's this woman who everything in society has been taken from her, sees Jesus. And so she sneaks up next to him. She's making everyone around her unclean by touching them, by being near them. And Jesus walks by and she reaches out and she touches Jesus. And Jesus feels power go out from him and she's healed instantly. The woman realizes it, boom. I'm healed. That feeling that's been there, the, the bloodletting that's just continued for 12 years is gone. All of a sudden, it feels right again. She's been restored. And Jesus feels it, and he stops, and he says, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble, and she fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her. Boom, that's family. You know, it's social interaction that she hasn't had in 12 years. 
It's, it's a welcome. It's an acceptance because she's, she's been cleansed spiritually. All these things back in an instant, in a word. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Physical healing, relational healing, financial, social, all in a moment, like everything that this woman lacked, Jesus restores in a second because she had the faith to reach out. And then he ups it. You know, first he starts with the person who has everything right, and then he goes to the person where everybody looks at and says they have everything wrong, and then he pushes it one step farther. He says, I'm going to show you my power to heal in increasingly difficult situations. Verse 49, while he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the house of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no more use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with them except Peter, John, and James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him because they all knew that she had died. And then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat and her parents were overwhelmed. But Jesus insisted that no one tell anyone what had happened. It's this ever-increasing ladder. Jesus going after the person that society had said, you're gone. Jesus going after the person who was, like if you read further chapters, it's this guy's tribe against Jesus. He says, yes, I'm gonna go heal your daughter. And then he's healing the person where all of society would say, no, you shouldn't heal that person. And then he walks into the dead girl's house and raises her from the dead. She gets up and she eats a meal. It's Jesus' ability to heal, to save, to forgive, to redeem, to bring new life to you and me this year where we need it. He knows our sicknesses, our diseases, our situations, our brokenness, and he wants to bring healing into our lives, not just to make us feel better, but to us, for us to experience the life-changing, body-changing power of God to bring healing to our lives where we ask for it. And so as we look at this year, we look at this year, Loved by Jesus, loved by the Son of God who gave his life for us to bring us into relationship with him. We do life empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is sent by God to run us every day. Not only to give us fresh desires to do the right thing and then power to carry that out, but also to live in us and help us in our brokenness, help us in our weakness, help us in our injuredness where we need healing emotionally, physically, financially, relationally, sexually, every single way. And this year is an opportunity for us as a church to, to put ourselves in one of the people in the story, to live out a day in the life of Jesus. That as Jesus comes in to calm the storms of the experts, the people who had the whole situation worked out, but something suddenly was flipped on its head and now their expertise turned into complete brokenness. And Jesus is there to restore things and to bring peace to their storm. For the person who's got the secrets that nobody could ever know, that nobody would ever want to know, Jesus is there to bring restoration, to cleanse them of their thing that's just too much for anybody else. And for all the situations that, that we looked at in that last one, for the person that, that had no cure, Jesus is there to bring healing. For the person who's ready to be buried, Jesus is there to bring healing. And for us as a church, it's our morning to respond to that, to step into the healing power of Jesus and see him do more than we could ever ask or imagine because he's our God who loves us and was born as a baby but grew up as an adult with the power of God to bring healing to our lives where we need it. Let's stand and pray.